Welcome back to Mark's Madness, now part of Chunkaluta. Hello. Hello, we're doing it again. I'm back after a brief vacation. <laughs> Prez is back. Shugmani 2 is back out there, um, busy with some stuff. So uh, they were able to come on, though, and, and give a little bit of full pitch of everything we've got going on um, through the GoFundMe and, and things like that. So um, please refer back to the last episode so that you can get all the details on that. But just know, you know, um, it's a lot of stuff moving quickly to get people wooden and, and warm stuff for the winter and the fundraising is going well. So, um, and with that said, uh, welcome back to, to Mark's madness, uh, part now part of Chunkaluta network. We read books. Um, I guess we didn't do the formal introduction, but Prez said they were back. I'm back. I'm David. And you know who we are by we now. We know who we are. And we are going to be, resuming our reading of the Gramsci reader that Prez has put together for us. We're going to be right at the end of slide 141 in the last paragraph, the only region where the war veterans movement took on a more precise profile. Before we get into that, um, because the new new show show is not up and fully running, we are still doing current events. Um, and really, obviously a lot of focus is still going to stay on um, the, Israeli genocide of Palestinians in Gaza and of course in, in the West bank. I mean, you know, they're, they're attacking refugee camps in the West bank and, and, and thousands, I think it's thousands of settlers are, are attacking the, the West bank right now too. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really fucking bad. <laughs> uh, but there's been some events that are kind of loosely correlated. The first one is just an event independently in and of itself. Um, the Western reporting is just going to take ISIS taking credit for it for granted. And who knows, maybe they did do it. I mean, Qasem Soleimani was a big uh, part of getting ISIS out of Syria. Again, it was grotesque. The U.S. assassinated the leader most essential to, um, you know, stopping the Daesh and ISIS across northern Syria. Um, but Trump assassinated uh, Qasem Soleimani right at the beginning of, of uh, 2020. Um, there was a memorial service uh, for the assassination of uh, or for Qasem Soleimani. That was a big, like thousands of people showed up, right, um, in support. And it was attacked with a, a terrorist attack, a bomb that killed. The estimates are between 80 and 100, but it's probably just a little over 100 people. Um dead there's a couple hundred at least injured and when we say injuries that's not like ah you know a piece of shrapnel hit my arm and bruised me and we're talking like you know surgery requiring like when you hear injuries on that that's like major life-altering injuries right well also shrapnel hitting your arm is usually very very yeah bad. yeah i don't mean like shrapnel in your arm would be a bruise <laughs> it that would fit into the injuries you would have a a massive gash possibly a broken broken arm you'd be getting stitches you'd be all kinds of stuff but when news agencies report injuries for for these things these are people who had to go to the hospital for treatment they weren't people who just like like fell down and busted their knee running away or something like that yeah and could get up and yeah, run. these are like people I, who like had to go like you would go to the er for this kind of injury type thing yes so you know the major life-altering injuries um so, yeah, that was just independently incredibly tragic, also pretty widely suspected. Um, 
considering that Israel with the International Court of Justice moving, I think it's the 11th when that that the early stages of that starts um, to try to get an immediate action out of Israel. Uh, I guess Israel like can't ignore the International Court of Justice the same way they can ignore International Criminal Court. So they've gone, they're, they're going to take up the trial. And amazingly, Alan Dershowitz is uh, going to be the lawyer while he's um, being exposed, unsurprisingly, as on the Epstein flight logs. Um, which did you see the the thing for that prez where Dershowitz like heard that and was like, ah, where's, where's, and he specifically, like he said, he wanted a list of young, uh, young feminists, which was like, holy fuck, dude. But he wanted oh, a list of I the- thought you were talking about how he put out a thing saying he hopes that Epstein recorded all of the stuff going on the plane so he could prove that he didn't do anything oh. on the plane. No, but that's pretty fucked up. No, he wanted a list of, he said, I think he said young feminists, but something implied like younger and, and obviously political ideology. He didn't say women, but like, you know, was trying to get some kind of young lady presence, wanted a list, which was a little creepy, but uh, weird wording aside, basically it was like, you know, I want a list of these people and I want to see if they've condemned Hamas for the mass rapes or, you know, all the bullshit stuff that's been basically debunked, right? Um, and, but on top of that, like, let's imagine that was very real. You know, he's not only, of course, apologizing for genocide by his representation of Israel, uh, and, and this condemn Hamas bullshit. That's, that's what could condemn Hamas always is, 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 you know, apology for Israel. Um, but in his condemn Hamas, it was like, well, wait, why are, why are you looking at me for, you know, being a child molester? Why don't you, why don't you look at Hamas over there? Why don't you condemn Hamas? And it's well, like, also, what the here's fuck? the thing. Like Israel is a hotbed. Israel is like well-known, well-documented for being the place where uh, pedophiles and convicted sex offenders go so they can escape trial and uh, having to go to jail. Um so like there there's a lot of convicted or accused quote unquote accused sex offenders in Israel mm. because they don't uh uh what do you call uh they don't send people back usually for trial if they do it's very rare and it has to be egregious. Oh yeah, that's uh um I can't think of the word either. <laughs> Basically you deport someone back for trial. Yeah. Yeah. Um I, I can't remember. That's I want to use the, the word US... export, but no, <laughs> export is not the word. No, but it's because they were talking about this with uh, the U.S. was was wanting this with the uh, uh, what's his face that that uh, all the all the dem socks that realize the media lies want to go on about all day long. Um, fucking uh, WikiLeaks guy. Julian Assange. Julian Assange. Right. Like before he got arrested, there was always this, you know, thing. And and I think uh, uh, the U.S. has asked this of extradition. Extradition. Yeah. Extraditing. That's it. Like Good very gracious. Um, so like Brett Ratner, that that Hollywood director went to Israel because he has a whole bunch of sex, uh, sex abuse accusations going around in the U.S. Jeez. 
Um, so like Dershowitz fits right in in defending. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit of a self-defense here. So other than that, I, I don't think there's a whole lot else going on with, with current events. Um, you know, we've talked about the tragedy at, at the Soleimani Memorial. We're talking about Israel is, of course, trying to expand the war and trying to avoid the procedures of the International Court of Justice. And and I think they're hinting at like a trying to make it a larger war. Yemen has done very effectively, has very effectively like stopped a lot of the uh, economic shipping through the Red Sea into Israel. And when the U.S. put a task force together for it, um, what did we say that the allies just were not on board and the U.S. had to bail? Uh, the president. You describe yeah. it better. Um, yeah. So the the whole thing with with the U.S. thing with uh, Yemen, I'm sure by now people heard of this, but um, the U.S. had a whole coalition going on with France, the Netherlands, the Seychelles, uh, a whole bunch of countries, and they were going to fight Yemeni piracy, quote unquote, um, and that didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> uh, what happened was all of these countries that joined in, they vowed to supply the U.S. Navy with, uh, like, ships without any people on them. So they're like, hey, you can have this ship if you come get it from us. And uh, that'll that'll be to the extent we can give it to you. And... Uh, there's the whole paper tiger argument, but we're kind of finding out that between this and the fact that with the ISS bombing that may or may not have been uh, pushed by the U.S., by Israel specifically, because we know that uh, Israel and the U.S. kind of pull the strings with uh, ISS. Um, Israel's trying to pull the U.S. into a larger scale war, a wider regional war. Um, but like we found out from all of this, that Europe after what the U S pulled with Russia has no capacity for another major war. <laughs> um, yeah, which is making it, it's, it's an interesting stalemate when you have like a large, powerful puppet that of course, and when we say puppet and we do say puppet implies like they pulled literally on a string, but these are, people and countries and factions with a shared interest of a more powerful country's ruling class. And they rule over, you know, their people and, and serve those interests in the region. And because of that, they get better press, da, 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 you know, all the, the economic support, things like that. So that, that's really what makes them a puppet. So like the U S says, like stop this genocide in Palestine, um, Israel would have to do it in a heartbeat, but that doesn't mean Israel has like brings no power to the table. And so they've got to try to, draw in the u.s on the same side of them in a war but the u.s could go israel go fight here and israel will be like okay and israel can't really do that with the u.s so it's all these weird machinations to try to get it kicked off kind of this yeah, like, like how, how can they invent the lusitania for themselves europe like followed in lockstep with ukraine like they they we blew up their pipelines they didn't give a shit they actually thanked us for it um the European governments are trying very hard to maintain public uh, quote-unquote support for Israel. Like Germany, We've seen how batshit Germany and France and the UK have been in terms of like silencing dissent about Israel. But even then, the governments themselves have not been very gung-ho about 
supporting Israel the way that the U.S. has been in terms of like material support in the same way. Yeah, um, and, well, and part of that's because they're they're getting their economies wrecked. They're everything's drying yeah. up with with yeah. Ukraine. You know, like uh, the 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 consequence of what happened with Russia was that inflation was absolutely wild. Um, when I moved to Europe, inflation here was like 19, 20%. Um, and the year before that, it was like 25, 30%. Uh, <laughs> like it was not good. Um, so like, and, and Germany, the largest economy is deindustrializing, which you do not want for Germany because they're, that's their economy. Um, and it's not like the U.S. where the U.S. deindustrialized on purpose, yeah, um, yeah. The U.S. deindustrialized by exporting labor and then converting to a service economy, and it was yeah. kind of like an entrenchment of the imperialism, right? Yeah. Germany's not in that no. same. Germany, as, it's it's more of an economic crumbling. Yeah, as 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 much as we want and can and should criticize neoliberalism, the whole point of neoliberalism in the U.S. was to convert from industrialism to a service economy through a variety of ways. Um, so if you're deindustrializing in the U.S., that's more or less fine for the structure of the economy, not for the workers, obviously. But in Germany, if you're deindustrializing, they're not changing the structure of the economy or how the political economy is working. So not only are the workers getting fucked over, the whole system is getting fucked. Um, so Europe itself is not in a good spot right now. Uh, and they're being asked to get dragged into a possibly inter-imperialist war uh <laughs> yeah and 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 they're not be, ready for it it'll be interesting to see what happens because um you know and again we talk about this all the time right we we believe in marxism leninism or you know any and people believe in any any level of marxism because with dialectical materialism you can better understand the world around you understand you know how you would would posit uh, revolution um, and born out of that is historical materialism, right? Where we understand like the economic machinations that, that turn over to different revolutions and, and trace us through history with all of that. We don't have like predictive powers, right? You know, we don't, we're, we're not like, Oh, we're going to look into the, the great ball of the future with our Marxism. So we don't know which way some of these things are, are going to go, but Israel, yeah, Israel, um, right now demanding essentially all of this of Europe and Europe not giving it is a strong sign that these economies are even weaker maybe from the war in Ukraine than we think and we know they're getting weaker we know they're deindustrializing and I wonder if how long the EU is going to hold together or if you know people might trace it back to Brexit but if it does if the EU starts getting in any any kind of trouble as as a, a large formation um, it would basically, I think, trace back to, to the war in Ukraine. Um, also, the other way that could go is that economies get weaker and they desperately grip to the EU and, and that, that strengthens as each individual country gets weaker. I don't, I don't oh, know which way it's going to go, but Europe's in some trouble. We're going we're gonna to have to do an EU episode, aren't we? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. 
Maybe but maybe between one of our sections we take a break and do a whole EU breakdown because the EU is a clusterfuck. I cannot answer what you just asked in like a short two minute thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. It's Jesus. <laughs> and then you're gonna get into question, what does this mean for Greece? <laughs> <laughs> what doesn't it mean for Greece, buddy? I know, I know. God. <laughs> All right. Um, so with that, I guess we could probably turn to the reading. Um, so again, uh, end of slide 141, the only region where the war veterans movement took on a more precise, uh, precise profile. And succeeded in creating a more solid social structure was Sardinia. And this is understandable, precisely because in Sardinia, the big landowner class is very exiguous carries out no function and does not have the ancient cultural and governmental traditions of the mainland south. The pressure exerted from below by the mass of peasants and herdsmen finds no suffocating counterweight in the higher social stratum of the big landowners. The leading intellectuals feel the full weight of this pressure and take steps forward which are more remarkable than the national union. The situation, the Sicilian situation, has very specific features which distinguish it both from Sardinia and the, from the south. The big landowners are form, far more compact and resolute there than in the mainland south. Moreover, there exists there a certain developed industry and commerce. Parentheses, Sicily is the richest region of the entire south and one of the richest in Italy. End parentheses. Here he doesn't mean the peasantry, he means in terms of like the landowning elites in terms of wealth. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a, a precipitous I, I we've been talking about that I think for a couple pages, right? There there being more of of a reactionary current, um, the church being a little less respected um in the rural areas. Um and and you know kind of the the whoever is the ruling class being almost a little more empowered um, okay. and, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so yeah. um that's just wanted, to, just wanted to clarify that parenthesis because yeah. usually when we talk about sicily in the south it's poverty yeah <laughs> um the upper classes feel very keenly their importance in national life and make its weight felt Sicily and Piedmont are the two regions which have played a preeminent role since 1870. The popular masses of Sicily are more advanced than in the south, but their progress has taken on a typical Sicilian form. There exists a mass Sicilian socialism, which has a whole tradition and development that is peculiar to it. In 1922 chamber, in the 1922 chamber, it had around 20 of the 52 deputies who had big, who had been elected from the island. We have said that the southern peasant is tied to the big landowner through the mediation of the intellectual. This type of organization is most widespread through the mainland, south, and Sicily. It creates a monstrous agrarian block, which as a whole functions as the intermediary and the overseer of northern capitalism and the big banks. Its single aim is to preserve the status quo. Within it, there exists no intellectual light, no program, no drive towards improvements or progress. 
If any ideas or programs have been put forward, they have their they have had their origins outside the South, in the conservative agrarian politicians, especially in Tuscany, who were associated in Parliament with the conservatives of the Southern agrarian bloc. Over and above the agrarian bloc, their functions in the South and intellectual bloc, which in practice has so far served to prevent the cracks in the agrarian bloc becoming too dangerous and causing a landslide. Giustino Fortunato and Benedetto Croce are the exponents of this intellectual bloc, and they can thus be uh, considered as the most active reactionaries of the whole peninsula. Uh, funnily enough, Gramsci actually, during his t- stint as a uh, academic or wannabe academic, when he was trying to do his PhD thesis, he studied under Croce. Oh. So he knows in person. He knows. He knows. He's like this asshole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, we have already said that Southern Italy represents a great social di- disintegration. This formula can be applied not only to the peasants but also to the intellectuals. It is a remarkable fact that in the South, side by side with huge property. There have existed and continue to exist great accumulations of cultural and intelligence in single individuals or small groups of great intellectuals, while there does not exist any organization of middle culture. There exists in the South the La Terza Publishing House and the review La Critica. There exist academies and cultural bodies of the greatest erudition, but there do not exist smaller medium-sized reviews nor publishing houses around which medium groupings of Southern intellectuals might form. The Southerners who have sought to leave the agrarian bloc and, pro- and pose the Southern question in a radical form have found hospitality in and grouped themselves around reviews printed outside the South. Indeed, one might say that all the critical initiatives taken by medium intellectuals which have taken place in this century in central and northern Italy have been characterized by southernism because they have been southern strongly influenced by southern intellectuals. I wonder if there's a leader of the Communist Party who could be described as someone who went outside the south. <laughs> I wonder. This is getting that real firsthand knowledge from Gramsci right now. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit of self awareness right there. Well, the supreme, well, the supreme and intellectual rulers of all these initiatives have been Giustino Fortunato and Benedetto Croce. In a broader sphere than the stifling agrarian bloc, they seen they have seen to it that all. Have seen to it that the problems of the <laughs> I lost my place midword. They have seen to it that the problems of the South would be posed in a way that did not go beyond certain limits, did not become revolutionary. Men of the highest culture and intelligence who arose on the tradition traditional terrain of the South were linked, but were linked to European and hence to world culture. 
they had all the necessary gifts to satisfy the intellectual needs of those most sincere representatives of cultured youth in the South. To, com to comfort their restless impulses, to revolt against existing conditions, to steer them along a middle way of classical serenity in thought and action, the so-called neo-Protestants or Calvinists have failed to understand that in Italy, since modern conditions of civilization rendered impossible any mass religious reform, the only historically possible reformation has taken place with Benedetto Croce's philosophy. The direction and method of thought have been changed and a new conception of the world has been constructed, transcending Catholicism and every other mythological religion. In this sense, Benedetto Croce has fulfilled an extremely important quote-unquote national function. He has detached the radical intellectuals of the South from the peasant masses, forcing them to take part in national and European culture. And through this culture, he has secured their absorption by the national bourgeoisie and hence by the agrarian bloc. That is a really interesting paragraph and, and idea there that he's pulling it kind of the the reverse uh walter rodney groundings with my brother thing right you, you pull them away from the people and then they have this disconnect um i, I don't know that's that's just that's wild to see <laughs> and think about because it, the whole thing is talking about you know it's been talking about intellectuals as you know, uh, upholders of the bourgeoisie. And then we talk about the South being more reactionary and there being a larger split in class, uh, in classes and, and a more reactionary ruling class. And then you have this specific action and it's, it's almost enlightening a little bit to some of these functionalities. I, I really like the, the line about, you know, um, crochet and Fortunato just making sure that, there's nothing too revolutionary in what they publish, right? Um, and so they have a publishing house. They invite all kinds of people in, even people that are left of them that are not necessarily serving their interests, you know, and you see this in, in modern publication now, right? But there's kind of a, a red line and you don't cross it or you don't get published. And that mm -hmm. kind of keeps everybody in line to make sure nothing's too much trouble. And that's how you get the rise of quote unquote left intellectuals like a Chomsky type in in uh, modern times as a comparative where you know his ideas are maybe more left-wing than the average person and there's some useful stuff in there but a lot of the stuff that's actually really helpful or dangerous to the ruling class is stripped out and that's the only reason he's even really allowed to be in the presence in the public sphere he is uh by the people that platform him well yeah it's it's more sinister though than certain people in their publishing houses don't get published or do get published it's that because they're the leading intellectuals uh crochet was like uh we don't really have like in modern times i guess chomsky is he's too old right now but like you know, like we don't really have like a Chomsky or a Foucault or a Howard Zinn anymore. Like no one has taken really their place. Mm -hmm. There's no person today that's like the academic intellectual of a country. So like, 
when we think of French intellectual, we think of like Foucault or yeah. or Sartre, Sartre or yeah. like a, a very a small handful of people. Yeah. Um, he was like that figure for Italy at that time period. Um, so like when he's talking about when Gramsci's talking about when you go when he shapes what it means to be an intellectual and and have a philosophy and have an idea that is then published through him, um, it's it is a little bit if you're too radical, you don't actually get to work with him, but it's more sinister than that. Um, yeah. it's it's shaping what actually is a legitimate idea. What is a legitimate philosophy? Um, so yeah. then if you're too radical, you don't even seem smart. <laughs> you I just seem you're too out there. There's still some Cold War vestiges of that, right? It's yeah. like, oh, you would defend this country. You're, you know, delusional. I think that's a lot of the the, the word tanky is is out there for, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and even in academia today, like if you cite certain people or if you use certain arguments, those are quote unquote disproven within mm-hmm. the field, um, even though logically they're not. Yeah. Um, they were just disproven for political reasons. Um, so if you cite them, you're not going to get work. <laughs> um. So like it's it's that subtle crafting of an intellectual common sense. Well, with that, um, I'll continue on. Lordi Nuovo and the Turin communists, if in a certain sense that can be related to the intellectual formations which we have alluded. And if therefore they too have felt the intellectual influence of Justino Fortunato or of Benedetto Croce, nevertheless represent the same time, represent at the same time, a complete break with that tradition and the beginning of a new development, which has already borne fruit and which will continue to do so. As has already been said, they pose the urban proletariat as the modern protagonist of Italian history, and hence also of the Southern question. Having served as an in, as intermediaries between the proletariat and certain strata of left intellectuals, they succeed in modifying, if not completely, at least to a notable extent, their mental outlook. <laughs> this is the main factor in the figure of Piero Gibetti. I think I pronounced that right. Um, if one reflects, if one reflects carefully, uh, Gibetti was not a communist and would probably never have become one, but he had understood the social and historical position of the proletariat and could no longer think an extraction abstraction from this element. <coughs> that sounds like a, a description that you could put forth for a lot of like social media personalities and <laughs> pundits this way too. Um, especially with the uh, uh, the rise of, of Israelis' uh, violence in Gaza. Um, or like some like really smart academics or these like pop historians or journalists mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. are like, you can tell that they're not communists, but they have some ability to do basic material analysis yeah yeah and they and they they're put 
sometimes pressed to a situation where they have to, and you're like, oh, that's okay. That was useful work. (laughs) Uh, The figure of Gibetti and the movement which he represented were spontaneous products of of the new Italian historical climate. In this lies their significance and their importance. Comrades in the party sometimes reproved us from not having fought against the Revolution Liberale current of ideas. Indeed, this absence of conflict seemed to prove the organic relationship of a Machiavellian kind, as people used to say, between us and Gibetti. We could not fight against Gibetti because he developed and represented a movement which should not be fought against, at least so far as its main principles are concerned. Not to understand that means not to understand the question of intellectuals and the function which they fulfill in the class struggle. Gibetti, in practice, served us as a link, one with those intellectuals born on the terrain of capitalist techniques who in 1919 to 1920 had taken up a left position favorable to the dictatorship of the proletariat. Two, with a series of Southern intellectuals who through more complex relationships posed the Southern question on a terrain different from the traditional one by introducing into the proletariat of the North of these intellectuals, Guido Dorso, who is the most substantial and interesting figure. Why should we have... I was ready for more sentence the way that parenthesis just popped up, not the end of a sentence. Sorry about that. Uh, why should we have fought against the Revolution Liberale movement? Perhaps because it was not made up of pure communists who had accepted our program and our ideas from A to Z. This could not be asked of them because it would have been both politically and historically a paradox. Intellectuals develop slowly, far more slowly than any other social group. <laughs> that's true and somehow I don't know if that of all the digs is meant to be a scathing critique and yet it is um, by their very nature and historical function they represent the entire cultural tradition of a people seeking to resume and synthesize all of its history this can be said especially of the old type of intellectual the intellectual born on the peasant terrain to think it possible that such intellectuals in mass can break with the entire past and situate themselves totally upon the train of a new ideology is absurd. It is absurd for the mass of intellectuals, and perhaps it is also absurd for very many intellectuals taken individually as well, notwithstanding all the honorable efforts which they make and want to make. This is another piece that reminds me of like Mao's cultural revolution stuff. Mm-hmm. Like big bang bang. I I am also um I guess just because of the nature of things today and maybe just the fact that, you know, what um inventing reality has has, you know, helped with my way of thinking over the years. Um I'm reading this. I'm not only reading the intellectuals and soaking in what Gramsci's saying, but I'm also going, you know, if you replace intellectuals with like news reporting or, or news media, or, you know, it, you, you can almost reproduce some of the same analysis. Well, we're not even, I kind of wish that the, the reader, I should have rearranged the reader 
because the section on intellectuals is a few sections from now where we actually define intellectuals. <laughs> I mean, there's been stuff with, with that where it's alluded to like intellectuals are part of the church. Intellectuals are yeah, yeah. like some of the rich landowner. Like they're not just like the college professor. Yeah. Um, TM, you know, no, and, and, we're, we're in section five and in section 10 and 11 are where we really get into like, what is an intellectual? What is an intellectual? So like, I feel like I look he forward really to put that up at the front. Yeah. Um, but like for here, intellectuals are the people who like create culture and knowledge. Okay. Okay. So you're exactly right. Good. Good. Hey, I'm understanding what we're reading. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> That's the whole point of, of reading in a group and discussing, right, folks? Uh, all right. Stay silent if you agree. <laughs> smile and nod, all of you. Smile and nod. Uh, <laughs> now, we are interested in the mass of intellectuals and not just in individuals. It is certainly important and useful for the proletariat that one or more intellectuals individually should adopt its program and ideas, should merge into the proletariat, becoming and feeling themselves to be an integral part of it. The proletariat as a class is poor in organizing elements. It does not have its own stratum of intellectuals and can only create one very slowly, very painfully after the winning of state power but is also important and useful for a break to occur in the mass of intellectuals a break of an organic kind historically characterized for there to be formed as a mass formation a left tendency in the modern sense of the word i.e one oriented towards the revolutionary proletariat the alliance between proletariat and peasant masses requires this formation it is all the more required by the alliance between the proletariat and the peasant masses in the South. The proletariat will destroy the Southern agrarian bloc insofar as it succeeds through its party in organizing increasingly significant masses of poor peasants into autonomous and independent formations. But it is greater or lesser, but it's greater or lesser success in this necessary task will also depend on its ability to break up the intellectual block that is the flexible but extremely resistant armor of the agrarian block. The proletariat was helpful towards the accomplishments of this task by Piero Gibetti, and we think that the dead man's friends will continue, even without his leadership, the work he undertook. This gigantic this is gigantic and difficult, but precisely worthy of every sacrifice, even that of life, as in Chivetti's case, on the part of those intellectuals, and there are many of them, more than is believed, from north to south, who have understood that only two social forces are essentially national and bearers of the future, the proletariat and the peasantry. Drafted between September and November 1926, uh, Selected Prison Works, Volume 2, pages 441 to 462. And that is the end of Part 1. And then he got dragged off to prison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was literally the last thing he wrote before he got arrested. Oh, geez. Wait, so then SPW, it's Selected Something Works, Volume 1 and 2. Political writings. Oh, political writings, not prison writings. Okay. 
Okay. Selected political writings. I might have said that wrong a few times, citing the end of it in my fancy <laughs> voice. And no, I stress on my fancy it voice. It would be SPN, Selections from the Prison Notebooks. Ah, okay. Too many acronyms and they're too close I together. Know. And they don't really <laughs> give you a key. Yeah. Well, this is a shorter episode, but we are at 40 minutes. So um, I guess that is probably all we will do today. Um, so unless you have anything else, uh, Prez, any reflection on part one or anything we want to have in our minds before we go to the next episode? No, no, okay. I don't. Gramsci stays winning. Gramsci stays winning. Uh, so this has been uh, Mark's Madness Pod, part of Chunkaluta Network. We read books. There's a number of ways you can get a hold of us. Uh, many of them conveniently are on the Chunkaluta Network link tree. It's linktr.ee slash Chunkaluta Network. Um, it is at chunkaluta.org, I want to say, on Twitter. Um, uh, if you want to get a hold of us that way, um, there's also a, a Patreon. Um, and with the Patreon, then you can come into the Chunkaluta Discord as well. Um, there's also a public Mark's Madness Discord. Link to that is in our Twitter bio, at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter or X. And also you can get a hold of us at Pod at gmail.com. Um, links to the GoFundMe and things are also in the link tree. Um, and we are still currently working on our winter drive, although a lot of the fundraising for that has gone very, very successfully. So by the time you hear this, uh, I don't know what stage that will be in. Uh, but I know, I believe that's what Shumanitu is doing today is, is working on getting the firewood out there. If not, I, I, I might be mis- being on that, but I know Shumanitu has been we busy. We don't need with- your money. We'll never need your money. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, please continue to support. Um, we talk about, you know, all the time that theory is useless without praxis. And a lot of that money, especially for stuff like the winter drive, is going towards that, that praxis, going towards firewood, is going towards a community center on Pine Ridge, uh, is going towards helping people with emergency, you know, healthcare bills and, and you know, emergency needs, things like that. Um, so with that said, um, this has been Mark Manis Pod. We read books. My name's David. I'm Press. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.